0: Chapters five and six of the Barnabys in America. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter five Friendly Confidence, Beautiful Demonstrations of Affection, Cold Caution, A Painful Contrast to It, Sisterly Devotion, A Solemn Promise. When Mrs. O'Donagough re entered the drawing room, she found Patty and her husband seated upon one sofa, and the two Miss Perkinses on another the two former were deeply engaged in a whispering conversation the subject of which as the well-satisfied mother rightly imagined was those passages in the early history of the bride's father with which she had that morning been made acquainted the two latter did not appear to be conversing at all and to say the truth looked very particularly forsaken and forlorn it was to this group that mrs o'donagough immediately addressed herself for she too felt a pleasure in the exercise of the inventive faculty which was almost equal to that of her husband oh my dear girls she began what a history i have been listening to such a story has come out mercy on me i hardly know whether i stand on my head or on my heels oh dear me what is it cried miss louisa divided between fright and curiosity for mrs o'donagough by pressing her right hand strongly against her left side sighing deeply and casting up her eyes towards the ceiling gave her great reason to fear that there was some mixture of the terrible in what she was about to hear i dare say it is the same thing that my beloved patty is communicating to her husband said miss matilda eagerly do dearest mrs o'donagough let me hear it directly you must know how devotedly i am attached to you all and whatever concerns any one of the dear family is just the same to my poor heart as if it belonged to myself you are a good soul matilda as ever lived and so is louisa too so sit down one on each side of me and you shall hear it though i declare to heaven my hair actually stands on end upon my head at the very idea of repeating it saying these words mrs o'donagough seated herself in the middle of her sofa and taking in each of her own hands one of those belonging to miss louisa and to miss matilda perkins she began to repeat the history she had heard from her husband embellishing it a little as she went on by sundry feminine traits of impassioned tenderness on the part of the young countess and concluding with a hint that the untimely demise of that noble personage was the consequence of her unconquerable passion for mr the only part of the history as recounted by that gentleman to his daughter which did not appear in the present version was that which seemed to infer a possibility that patty might be the offspring of the lady alluded to and not of the fond mother who so gloried in calling her daughter mr o'donagough showed considerable knowledge of human nature in omitting this part of the joke when discoursing on the subject to his wife he felt that there were things which might not safely be mentioned even in jest and that this was one of them it would be difficult nay perhaps impossible to find words capable of doing justice to the feelings of the miss perkins as they listened to this soul-stirring narrative disjointed expletives were all they could utter but clasped hands lifted eyes and long-drawn breath gave ample testimony to the powerful emotion which shook their respective frames at length the predominating feeling of miss matilda found vent in words having some show of meaning for she uttered distinctly the following and what my adored mrs o'donagough is it your intention to do go it is plain you must but where oh in such a case as this replied my heroine there is but one country in the world that a superior-minded man like mr o'donagough would think of for a moment of course we shall go to the united states that is to the most fashionable part of the country you may guess that i should not think of any other and there i have no doubt we shall be exceedingly happy o'donagough is exactly the man to be popular in a free country all his principles and ideas are upon the noblest and most extended scale and i know that i and patty too are particularly well fitted to live happily in a country where there are slaves in fact it is the only sort of servant in whom one can find any real comfort and i confess to you my dear girls that upon the whole i expect we shall enjoy ourselves famously i have not the least doubt in the world my dearest friend Exclaimed Miss Matilda, I would to heaven I was going with you. Then so you shall, by jingo! exclaimed the bride, who had overheard the speech of her favourite. If I say the word, it's as good as done, and that you know, Matilda, nobody better. If I had my way when I was plain Patty O'Donagough, I leave you to guess if I am likely to be disappointed, and contradicted, and plagued, and disobeyed now that I am a married woman and the wife of a Don, dearest Patty, ever, ever the same cried miss matilda with vehement emotion what say you my dearest mrs o'donagough do you think that we might be permitted to join your delightful party i feel sure that both louisa and myself would know no happiness like that of devoting ourselves to you upon my life girls i should like it of all things for i am sure that i shall want somebody particularly just at first to talk to and to help me to settle things Of course, my dears, you know that you would have to pay all your own expenses. That's a matter, of course. And then, if Donnie does not object, I won't. But what does Louisa say to it? I have not heard her voice yet. Upon being thus appealed to, Miss Louisa ventured to say, though her sister's eyes shot daggers at her the while, that she did not think either Matilda or herself young enough to venture upon going to a quite new country, of which they knew nothing except that it was many thousands of miles off, Which would make it exceedingly difficult to come back again, Louisa Perkins. You are a fool, if ever there was one born, exclaimed Madame Tornorino. And you may say that I told you so, Mrs. O'Donagough laughed aloud and said, Go where you will, Patty. Gentle and simple must all agree that you have a tongue in your head, but never mind her, Louisa. You have a right to your say as well as another, and your opinion is that America is a great way off. So it is, my dear. And you need not mind Patty's impudence the least bit in the world. Miss Louisa Perkins seemed to be of the same opinion, and certainly looked as if her equanimity was in no danger of being shaken by that lively lady's sallies. But her feelings were differently constituted with respect to her sister, for when Miss Matilda, having seized upon her shawl and wrapped it energetically round her, said, Come along, sister, she really looked as white as a sheet. Yes, Matilda, you had better go away now, child observed mrs o'donagough waving them off with her hand it is quite impossible that i can sit still to reason upon the subject when i have such an immensity to do you had better talk the matter over together all i have to say is that if you are ready to pay all your expenses and like to go i shall make no objection if Donny makes none and you know how excessively fond he is of you both god bless you dearest mrs o'donagough sighed matilda as she pressed the hand of her condescending friend oh how i should glory in waiting upon you like your humblest servant in any land in the world that you could take me to you are a very good girl matilda replied mrs o'donagough and i dare say louisa will think better of it but louisa continued to maintain her ominous aspect and with a silent slow and melancholy step followed her sister into the street the maiden sisters walked along curzon street turned so as to reach park lane crossed into the park and still without exchanging a single word louisa was melancholy matilda moody but having at length reached that semi sylvan path which stretches across the green sward towards brompton the full heart of the younger sister swelled too vehemently to be longer restrained and she uttered the following words if there is one misfortune in the world more hard to bear than all the rest it is the being tied up to a person too old and too stupid for anything the meek-spirited louisa who knew that a storm must come had been actually quivering inside and out from head to foot in the expectation of it and though the breeze that now began to whistle in her ears was not of the most balmy or gentle quality she still felt in some sort relieved that it had begun probably because the evils we anticipate are always more terrible in our imaginings than in the reality it was therefore with a very perceptible attempt at a cheerful manner that she replied come dear matilda don't fret yourself You can't think how it spoils your good looks and besides my dear sister you ought to remember that if two people are tied together as you call it the one young and the other old the one clever and the other stupid the clever and young one has so much the best of it that she ought to thank god day and night that she is not the other one it is much that i have to thank god for isn't it bitterly replied the unfortunate cadet i that never do never can and never shall i suppose have any one single thing that i wish for whatever you say louisa i must beg you that you will not be so disgustingly hypocritical as to pretend to tell me i'm not unhappy oh i am miserable i do believe you are my poor dear matilda returned the elder her eyes filling with tears and that it is which prevents me my being so perfectly happy as the goodness of god ought to make me for to tell you the truth i don't a bit mind being old and stupid because i have got used to it i suppose but i do mind seeing you fret and pine and take on so and all because nobody just happens to come in the way for you to be married to don't speak of that if you please you had much better let that subject alone interrupted matilda in accents as little soothing as it is easy to imagine unless indeed you wish to torture me which may very likely be the case and if so you cannot do better than go on oh matilda matilda how can you speak so i never in my whole life wished to do anything in the world but please you and god knows i love you quite as dearly as i do myself or i might say better and that without telling any fib for i would always a great deal rather have you pleased than be pleased myself and be as angry as you will with me matilda you cannot say it is my fault that you are not married yet not say it is your fault screamed matilda suddenly standing still and turning round so as to throw a broad side of indignant eye-beams under the bonnet of her suffering sister not your fault that passes by far anything that i could have thought it possible for a human being to utter not your fault that i am not married and who was it then if you please who prevented my being at this very moment mrs poxcroft i can bear anything better than falsehood miss louisa perkins and therefore i will just beg you as a favour never to say that again glad and glad shall i be to leave off saying anything that you don't like to hear matilda but sometimes i don't find out what it is till too late we will never talk any more about mr foxcroft then it is the best resolution we can take for we know he is a bad man and not worth anybody's talking about and that i suppose you say to please me too knowing as you do cruel hard-hearted creature that i still dote upon him to distraction replied matilda in violent agitation poor poor foxcroft she added while the embroidered pocket-handkerchief which she carried was raised to her eyes how different would now have been your fate had you fallen into other hands his only fault under heaven was the excess of his love for me his fond heart shrunk from the idea of seeing me living upon an income that he thought unworthy of my taste and refinement and for this and this only you lacerate my soul by making me listen to your eternal abuse of him indeed i am very sorry to hear you are so much in love with him still returned her sister, and rather than that, I do think, my dear, that it is better to remind you of what you heard yourself, you know. I mean his wanting so very much to marry me for the sake of my little fortune. He never wanted to marry you, replied the indignant Matilda. You totally mistook his meaning, I am sure of it. All his object was to endeavour to soften your heart towards me, and persuade you, if it was possible, into fairly dividing your fortune between us and this you have chosen to twist and turn into his offering to marry you but this is only a piece with all the rest you were born to tyrannize over me and destroy me and nothing is left for me but to submit oh how often she added with a deep groan and casting her eyes upon the serpentine river which they were at that moment passing how often do i long to plunge into that placid water and bury my misery in it for ever miss matilda perkins had certainly during her thirty-six years of existence tried pretty nearly every species of device for the management and subjugation of her truly affectionate elder sister but somehow or other it had never before occurred to her that she might threaten suicide and now it was probably only the opportune sight of the water which had suggested the idea but whatever the cause she speedily felt inclined to bless the effect for never before had she even in her most energetic moments of eloquence uttered words productive of such powerful results miss louisa turned as pale as ashes and trembled visibly in every limb she clutched the arm of her sister with convulsive strength and hurried her onward though literally without the power of speaking a single word the effect of her experiment was not loss on miss matilda she attempted not to break the really awful silence which now reigned between them but suffered her sister to drag her onward unresistingly till they had reached their own door the knocker was made to do its office but still they spoke not and the door being opened they mounted miss matilda first and miss louisa afterwards to their drawing-room there the really miserable elder sister seated herself and burst into tears the younger permitted them to flow for some minutes uninterruptedly assuming meanwhile herself what she intended should be an aspect of dogged despair at length the poor louisa endeavoured to rally she drew off her gloves and tidily rolled them up then removed her shawl from her shoulders and began a similar notable process upon it smoothing and folding it upon her knee but certainly looking all the time as miserable as it was well possible to be matilda watched her closely and perceiving that notwithstanding her melancholy she was gradually recovering from the shock she had received and returning too nearly to the usual sensations of daily existence she took off her bonnet which she threw down notwithstanding it had a new feather in it with an air highly theatrical shook back her ringlets stood up approached her sister placed herself immediately before her and thus addressed her louisa the time is come when it is absolutely necessary that we should understand one another the existence i have been leading under your care and control has become much too painful to endure and i have come at length to the firm determination of changing or of ending it the choice louisa as to whether i shall make some effort to lessen the misery i endure or destroy myself i shall leave wholly to you if you will immediately readily and cheerfully consent to accompany our friends the o'donagoughs to america i will consent to live and will exert myself to the very utmost to render existence to both of us more happy in the new world than it has ever been in the old but if you refuse this if you persist in keeping me chained to this sterile land where the best and tenderest feelings of the human heart are checked and blighted by the constant fear of not having money enough to marry upon if i say you do this instead of permitting me to try my chance in a new world i solemnly declare to you that i will put an end to my life and when the awful deed is done you may learn too late the danger of torturing the human soul beyond its powers of endurance now then louisa speak decide i abide your decision and you must abide its consequences inexpressibly terrified at these dreadful words the unhappy louisa was ready to grant all and everything that was demanded of her and eagerly throwing her arms round the tall thin figure of her sister as she stood before her she exclaimed upon one condition matilda i agree to everything you shall go we will both go whenever and wherever you will if you will only make me one promise name it said matilda eagerly only promise me my dearest sister that if i consent to your wishes in this you will never think of killing yourself not even if you should not happen to get any gentleman to marry you in america i promise responded matilda solemnly louisa exclaimed thank god but the next moment heaved a heavy sigh whether this was caused by the remembrance of her own promise or breathed as a relief from the fulness of joy occasioned by that of her sister may be doubtful but be this as it may the business was settled matilda in a cheerful voice reminded her sister that a gentleman who had the eye of all the state authorities fixed upon him like mr would not be permitted to linger long after receiving notice that he was to go and having given this necessary hint she instantly set to work herself upon drawers and boxes and by the vigorous earnestness of her labours gave the strongest proof of the vivacity of the feelings which prompted them it is needless to follow the preparations of the party thus about to leave england together for the united states suffice it to say that every one of them including don espartero cristinino tornorino was so active an expert in the several operations they were called upon to perform that in less than a week their passage was taken in a fine ship lying in the river and bound for new orleans their goods packed and on board their various affairs agencies and respective money concerns satisfactorily settled and one and all of them perfectly ready to go on board the above-mentioned don indeed though hitherto so slightly known to the reader and rather to be considered as a stranger than an old acquaintance will be found hereafter to possess many noble qualities well deserving a share in the affectionate feelings which i flatter myself his companions have already excited the only circumstance preliminary to their sailing which it is farther necessary to mention is that the principal personage and he who was considered on all sides as the hero of the expedition decided after giving a good deal of consideration to the subject that for many reasons into which it is totally unnecessary to enter it would be advisable that he should not appear in america under either of his former appellations but as a still farther compliment to his ever admired wife they should assume the style and title of major and mrs allen barnaby chapter six various reasons for not finding a river voyage tedious some account of the early years of don tornorino delightful contrast furnished by his present situation the soul of miss matilda perkins is entranced in the ecstasy of hope the mind of a passenger on board a merchant vessel working her way up the thames with very little wind and that little not above half favourable must be exceedingly preoccupied if he do not find this part of his expedition very long and very dull but notwithstanding the great variety of temperament by which the various individuals of the party we are about to accompany were distinguished there was not one of them who strictly speaking could be said to suffer from this evil miss louisa perkins indeed might to a superficial observer have been classed as one of the above-named victims of a slow progress through a disagreeable region but though her pale thin visage had no more movement or animation in it than that of a whiting boiled yesterday though her very light grey eyes had a plentiful lack of speculation in them and though she spoke not and moved not i who have the happy privilege of knowing every thought of her heart take upon me to declare that no idea that the river was long or dull ever entered her head she was there poor thing seated on the pea-green bench formed by the top of the chicken-coop on purpose to be miserable not that her temper was of that sour quality which leads its possessor to find an indulgence in being uncontrollably cross on the contrary the temper of miss louisa was essentially gentle and kind but this gentleness and this kindness had led her on the present occasion to do precisely the very thing that she most abhorred and in truth she could hardly choose but be miserable She hated every country and everything that was not English and everything that was American. Most of all, she loathed the smell of a ship. She detested the sea and had never been in a boat to cross a ferry without being rather sick. And to add to all this, she greatly doubted the efficacy of their present scheme for remedying the staple misery of her sister's existence. That is to say, she greatly doubted the probability of finding an American gentleman more inclined to marry a young lady of six and thirty without money than an English one so that on the whole it was hardly possible that she could be otherwise than sad her only comfort as she gazed upon the dirty water through which the vessel was crawling being the reflection that she had saved her sister from jumping into some very like it as to the hero of the party as i have already very fitly designated major allen barnaby he stood in a manly and commanding attitude his arms akimbo and his legs a straddle in the style of one of the sieur david's classic greeks sometimes looking ahead sometimes looking astern but always with an air of consciousness that the bark which bore him and his fortunes carried no ordinary freight the river was neither long nor dull to him could he forget how he last navigated in the same direction could he forget how much he had added to his little hoard since he passed up it in the other could he fail to feel that his glorious intellect and his happy star had enabled him again and again to rise triumphant out of misfortunes which must have overwhelmed a man of lesser genius and remembering all this could he do otherwise than look forward with bold hope and unshrinking confidence to the fresh career that was opening before him to him the tedious river voyage was but a soothing interval during which he could indulge without interruption or restraint in a series of exciting calculations and a succession of reveries each bringing flatteringly before his mind's eye the immense superiority of the new world over the old in all the arts of a highly advanced state of society and a complacent smile settled on his features as he thought of it mrs o'donagough to do her justice seldom felt anything to be tedious she could always find or make opportunities for displaying both her mind and body to advantage and who that does this can ever find any portion of existence fatiguing before the ship reached the downs she had made pretty nearly every sailor on board as well as the captain and the three mates understand that she knew very nearly as much about a ship as they did that besides all the personal beauty which remained to her and she really managed to take off ten years of her fifty-five much better than the generality of those who try their talents at the same operation besides all that remained she clearly made them all understand that she had some few years ago been infinitely handsomer still to the cook she gave some admirable instructions in ship cookery on the mind of the steward she strongly impressed the necessity of furnishing the passengers particularly the ladies with a liberal allowance of good toddy if he wished to keep them from the horrors of sea-sickness and she made the little black cabin boy thoroughly understand that if ever he hoped to see the colour of her money he must never fail to come to her whenever she called let who would want him elsewhere with all this to be done could she find the river voyage too long as to don tornorino and his lady they had both mutually and separately much to amuse them the gentleman had very many reasons for feeling himself happy and contented and truly he was so but to what an extent no one can guess who is unacquainted with his previous history and as his fate is now so closely united to that of the amiable race to whose memoirs i am thus assiduously devoting myself a slight sketch of his early life may be desirable as i pique myself upon the unvarnished truth of my narratives i shall honestly confess to the reader that don espartero etc tornorino was not by birth an hidalgo on the contrary indeed his mother was a washerwoman and his father a tailor but in a country where the wholesome exercise of revolution is going on so prosperously as it has been long doing in spain it matters little what a man's father may be provided he himself knows how to profit by the delightful whirlwind of accidents by which he is sure to be surrounded the young tornorino was a very pretty boy and he was a sharp boy and moreover he was a very musical boy and by the help of all these good gifts together there were few youngsters in that not very tranquil country who had so pleasant a life he was very religious too and all the priests that were left in madrid made much of him he both danced and sung to perfection and juan cristino delighted in him several seamstresses were willing to make him shirts for nothing and there was not a cook-shop in the city that had a woman in any part of the establishment where he might not get the very best of dinners for the asking besides all this his excellent and patriotic father had become a chef d'escadron to some faction or other i really forget what and his mother lady of the bedchamber to her majesty so that his position in society appeared as assured as it was brilliant and a happier young don never strutted through the highways and byways of madrid than the young raven-haired Tornarino all this lasted till he was twenty-four years old and three months and then poor fellow just as he had got confirmed in every habit of extravagance luxury and indulgence he was literally turned from the court into the gutter his father was shot as a traitor having very unluckily been caught in the act of appropriating some small regimental funds that had happened to come in his way his mother was discarded from her high and very distinguished office and a young milliner installed in her place and the poor petted son for no reason in the world that i know of save that he had outlived the royal lady's favour was also informed that his attendance was no longer required the unfortunate widow of the gallant chef d'escadron died of starvation within the year and her accomplished son sold eleven of his twelve guitars all his gold snuff-boxes and five of his six sword-knots in order to convey himself to england and try his fortune there and a dismal fortune it proved poor fellow as soon as the few naps he had brought with him had disappeared he tried a greater variety of expedients to get more than i have time to record among other things he played in the orchestra at Drury lane and danced in the ballets at covent garden he gave lessons in most living languages to all who would be so kind as to learn and offered to teach the guitar for a shilling a lesson but somehow or other nothing succeeded with him he was almost always taking a siesta when he ought to have been rehearsing at the theatre and he no sooner got a pupil than he began making love to the mother or the sister and so got kicked into the street then every farthing of money he got he was obliged to spend at some leicester square restaurant where he could obtain a plough or two seasoned with a little garlic for he felt as if he really must die if he attempted to swallow a chop or a steak prepared for him at his lodgings but after all there was really as little harm in him as could reasonably have been expected under the circumstances and amongst the multitudinous patriots with which london abounds patty might easily have done worse the variety of pleasant thoughts which now chased each other through the young man's head as he sat beside his bride quietly and smilingly receiving and returning her caresses was perfectly delightful by far the most distinguishing feature of his mind was a love of ease and indeed of indulgence of all kinds and this had made the privations endured since reaching england something almost too dreadful to think of his reverence for the father and mother of his young wife knew no bounds he saw that their manner of living was exceedingly far removed as far at least as he could judge of it from dry mutton-chops hard beefsteaks black cold potatoes and muddy beer. these various articles had formed a large portion of his misery for the last four years and the idea that he was now to live daintily comparatively speaking and do no work wrapped his senses in a sort of sweet elysium that kept him in a continual smile moreover he loathed hated and abominated the climate of england to a degree that made the act of sailing away from it something little short of rapture he was going to see the sun again the very name of new orleans whenever it reached his ears caused him to display his well-set white teeth to an unmitigated excess and so perfectly well satisfied was he with his present position that had queen christina stood before him he would have snapped his fingers at her and would hardly have consented to change it had the great general whose name he had assumed offered his own to him instead as for patty nobody who knows patty could doubt for a moment her being in a state of perfect felicity for in spite of jack and all his false-heartedness she was married and instead of having one kiss to talk about she had now more than she could count and the river seemed to her a very pleasant river the wind a very good wind and the ship a very nice ship but of all this happy well-contented party the most supremely happy and the most rapturously well-contented was beyond all question miss matilda perkins the annoyances that the dawn was leaving behind him were light indeed compared to the various and for ever recurring sources of agony which had lacerated her tender bosom for years never perhaps had any woman loved so often and so devotedly oh she felt to the very centre of her soul that she deserved to be loved again and the having failed of this well-merited reward and that too through at least twenty years of unremitting though various affection had left a bitterness of indignation at her heart which poisoned all her hours and rendered her life one mournful long-drawn love-lorn sigh but now how delightfully was all around her changed what a rainbow radiance fell upon every thought of the future hope sprang aloft upon exulting wings the bark that supported her slight figure as she gracefully leaned over the taffrail seemed wafted by breezes from heaven and its sails filled by the soft sweet breath of love Miss Matilda was, in her way, a great reader. She had dipped into several accounts of America, and she was quite aware how exceedingly the natives were behind hand in all matters of grace and fashion. What an enormous advantage, therefore, would this give her over all the native daughters of the land! How certain did she feel that her knowledge of life, her elegant manners, her particularly small waist, and two or three new bonnets and dresses, which she had bought at the bazaar two days before she set off, would place her in a position of immeasurable superiority above everybody that she was at all likely to be seen with in short her swelling heart felt no fears for the result and the only thing approaching anxiety which crossed her mind was the question whether it would be best for her to accept the first man that offered or wait a little to take the advantage of choice miss matilda certainly did not mean to assimilate herself to a housemaid nevertheless having a general idea that a certain letter concerning australia which she had heard greatly admired was somehow or other about america she could not but recall with interest the historical fact therein mentioned which records that marriageable females arriving from the motherland were so eagerly sought in wedlock there that proposals were made to them as they approached the land through speaking trumpets had this circumstance been recalled to the mind of miss matilda as one which had influenced her wish to leave england it is highly probable that she would have rejected the suggestion with disdain and have declared herself not such a fool as to take for earnest what was perhaps written in jest it is however unquestionably certain that there had been moments in the course of the last ten years of miss matilda perkins's existence during which this graphic image of abounding husbands had returned again and again to her fancy, throwing a sort of El Dorado halo around the name of America, which had not been without its effect. I know it is put down there most likely in the way of a joke, she had one day said to herself in musing monologue, but for all that I dare say it means something. There is no fire without smoke. And Miss Matilda looked at the map but how could her wildest dreams at that time have painted the possibility of her ever traversing such a world of water yet here she was beyond the possibility of a doubt actually embarked on board a ship bound to america the fact was so extraordinary so astounding so delightful that sometimes it seemed to transcend all reasonable belief and at others to elevate her spirits almost beyond the power of restraining them with proper limits such a delightful party too her most particular friend a young married woman proverbially the best of chaperons and then her husband so fond of her such happiness between them continually suggesting to every one who saw them the dear idea of matrimony as the easiest and surest mode of attaining perfect felicity can we wonder that the soul of miss matilda was swimming in bliss as buoyantly as the ship was swimming upon the waters and thus they made their way down the majestic bosom of the Thames. The only grumbling observation proceeding from the lips of poor Louisa, and that was not much. She only muttered to herself, It is a long lane, they say, that has no turning. But oh dear, it is a longer still that has got so many. End of chapters five and six.